listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your co-hosts, Andrew Forbes, Peter Barracchini, and Alex Hobson. Hello, everybody, and welcome back for episode 99 of Sticks in the Six. It's our first episode since uh, going live downtown Toronto. It seems like it was like three weeks ago now, boys, that we sat down <laughs> at the bottom line. But uh, we're, we're setting up when we're going to get there next. Not sure when that's going to be, but we'll we'll definitely figure something out. That was a great time. Um, as always, I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini and Alex Hobson. Lots to talk about, boys, as the uh, Leafs get their second week underway. And, um, you know, it, it's it's Leafland. So we've got uh, a little controversy, a little scandal a little whatever whatever you want to call it we've got it um but before we get into that alex how's it going this week buddy boys i know this is the time of the week when i normally give you my ball hockey updates and unfortunately i don't have anything really optimistic to talk about tonight we've had a couple of we had the league set us up for our first back-to-back of the season which i i'm no longer going to criticize the leafs for looking sluggish on the second half because yeah the back-to-back back-to-back games certainly is uh is a, is a tough thing, even if you're a Division 10 men's ball hockey athlete like I am. <laughs> I, uh, couple, a couple of tough losses. We, uh, we, we played two games in a row, obviously, didn't have, didn't quite have the bodies we would have wanted there either time. So, um, that, that takes a toll on you when you only have a couple of subs and you don't even have two complete lines. You just kind of got to jump over the, jump over the boards whenever, <laughs> whenever someone's more tired than you are, basically. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, not much of an update there. Um, but uh, aside from that, yeah, things have been great. Peter, how about you, buddy? How's it going? How are your way? Ah, uh, man, I, I I wish we were doing another live episode right now at Bottom Line because that that was fun. But then again, you know, only a month. You know, we agreed upon that. But you know what? It's it's going well. It's going well. Um, obviously, like we said, lots to talk about in Leafland. But uh, yeah, really can't complain. You know, uh, I've had some days off where I just needed to regroup, relax. And for the first time in like a long time, I had back-to-back articles and that rarely happens. And because of that game against the Arizona Coyotes, there was reason to do that. But uh, yeah, everything's going good. That's awesome, boys. And uh, as I mentioned uh, last week, I believe, um, my little my little girl was still in the hospital at the time. Uh, obviously, this week we got her back a couple of days ago. So if you hear some grunts and moans, that's me doing double shift as daddy duty down here as my wife puts our little guy down for bed tonight. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a great week. It's been a great week at the Forbes household and we're happy to have her home and no, no two days to the uh, the hospital anymore. So happy to have Harlow as our fourth uh, co-host for episode 99. The great one, Beautiful. the great one. We should call it the great one. The great one. Perfect. Yeah. It, 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 it rolls off the tongue. And not only that with her being on board, it, it just makes sense. Yeah, it's very very fitting, very fitting this week. But uh, like I said, we have a lot to talk about in Leafland. Um, what better way to get it started than the usual Toronto media stirring the pot with our Toronto Maple Leafs? And Sheldon Keefe did not hold back when he mentioned uh, earlier this week that his star players needed to step up. The star players needed to step up and... Uh, it, you know, it, it wasn't, I, I personally, I didn't feel like what he was saying was too, too out of the ordinary. I mean, yeah, you're only mm-hmm. f- what four games into the season and, you know, people are still getting their rhythm, but 
at the same time, you know, this is a team that has been notoriously not good leading, you know, leading into the playoffs and, you know, losing, losing that first round. And that's something that every year they come back and say, you know, we've learned from what we've done, but Peter, you had a great article this week come out where the Leafs are playing down to their, their opponents. And that's exactly what they did against the Arizona Coyotes. Um, from that that point on, you know, Marner came out. They had a closed door meeting with Sheldon Keefe. Words were spoken, um, and in you know usual Toronto media fashion, everything was blown out of proportion. So, Peter, I'm going to throw it to you first. What are your thoughts on what Sheldon Keefe said, and then what are your thoughts on him backtracking on what he said following this closed door meeting? Yeah, I really had no issue with what he said. I mean, obviously in that game, there were a lot of bad, like everybody was bad until halfway through the second or after the second goal, when you saw a penalty kill shift from Mitch Martin, where he looked like, you know, he was shot out of a cannon. That's when the tide started to turn, but they didn't generate a whole lot of offense until that third period. So yeah, for him to criticize the offense and say that they weren't elite, if they were elite, they would have scored on that two-minute shift. They would have scored on all those chances in the first period where it could have been two, three, four, nothing at that point. Um, they didn't have anything going. And the fact that they, you know, didn't continue to put the pedal to the metal after that shift really kind of sums it up of the Maple Leafs playing down to their opponent where they don't get a good shift, they take a step back allow their opponent back into the game and lo and behold turnovers galore justin hall after having two good games comes back to being justin hall with you know poor defensive lapses giveaways and all that um i'm not going to talk about the officiating because we probably shouldn't have been in that position to begin with but that's for another day because also the maple leafs had another bad officiating issue against the dallas stars but overall I had no issue with what he said. It's no different from what he said, you know, last year when Matthews and Martin were slowing, he's just like, they got to be better. There's nothing wrong with saying that your elite players have got to be better. They're getting paid the big bucks for the reason. And for him to backtrack it, I don't know why. Maybe he did have a way of saying something, but it didn't come out properly. That probably was the case. Obviously, I'm not going to speculate on that because I wasn't there. It was a closed door meeting. Players and coaches hashed it out. But for him to try and backtrack, and if and if he does mean by what he said that you know it's not what I meant, then so be it. But at the same time, he still should have stood by his comment, saying that you know what, the stars are the stars. We expect more from them. Simple as that. Alex, what are your thoughts on not only not only what he said, but you know having that closed door meeting and then coming out and backtracking? Like, what does that make him look like as a, as the leader of this team? Well, you know, that's the one, that's just it right there is that perception is everything. And, you know, people's perception of Sheldon Keefe after that are going to be that he is soft, that he gets bullied by his players, that he had to come out and apologize to the media so that his players wouldn't get mad at him. And all I have to say after just sort of watching all that unfold, all that was total horseshit. And it just makes no, it, I mean, it obviously does make sense to me. I understand why the Toronto media does this. I understand why they spin stories so they get clicks. But first of all, there was no apology. I didn't see, there was no apology from Sheldon Keefe. At no point did he come out and say, sorry, I didn't mean to say that about my players. To me, what happened was Sheldon Keefe, and like you got, like you said, Peter, Sheldon Keefe and his star players had a closed-door meeting. And because he was obviously up talking to the press and they wouldn't have heard what he said with that quote, 
about how the elite players have to be elite. Um, he went in and talked to his players before they read it through the press to clarify what he meant, mm-hmm. which I, I don't see anything wrong with. Like, he's not backtracking at all. He's not saying, oh, don't worry. I know you guys are still good players. I, I didn't mean he's saying that. Listen, I told the media that we need we needed to be better as a team and you guys as our star players needed to be better as well, which is nothing wrong. I guarantee that conversation happens between every coach and every star player every time his team doesn't have a good effort and the star doesn't contribute. But then naturally you've got the media grasping at straws to try and spin it into a story that it isn't. And really it's not I can't even blame fully blame the media on this because I feel like we wouldn't be having this discussion if Marner didn't specify that second part to the media the next day. And you're obviously, you know, it's not, it's one of those things where you can't really blame him for it because what what else is he going to say to the media when they get it, when they ask him about what happened with Keith the other day and if it impacted anything, I'm assuming that's what the question was, but the rule of thumb in Toronto is if you're a star player, if you're a coach, if you're a GM, if you're somebody that the media is chomping at the bit to scrutinize at any at any opportunity and you're on a losing streak or something embarrassing happened don't talk to the media or talk to the media as little as possible that's literally all you can say after that because again the conversation that that we're we've been talking about in leafland for the past four fucking days happens literally in every dressing room i would imagine every single dressing room with a star player and a coach that expects better out of that star player so i'm I don't know. I, I'm just I'm just sick of the way that the media's taken this and run mm-hmm. with it. But at the same time, Keith and Marner didn't do themselves any favors by by responding to the by by basically bringing it up again the next day when asked about it. And I again I understand why Mitch Marner said what he said because you know when you're kind of put on the spot like that by a reporter, you're gonna you're you're gonna try and put out the fire as much as possible. But I don't know. It's just it, it's just. <laughs> So embarrassing that every single time what a seemingly normal occurrence happens when the Leafs are on a skid or a losing streak or whatever, there's always we always got to talk about it a couple extra days every single time. The whole thing is called a closed door meeting. If you're if you're a player, if you're a coach, if you're a trainer, if you're hell, if you're the guy scrubbing the toilets in the in the locker room after the game and, and you overhear what's happening in the closed door meeting, you don't say anything. Simple. Yeah. You, you say, you know what, that, what, what was said is between us and the coach is between us as players. It's uh, us as a team. There's, there's your quote. And for me, like, I, I understand, you know, you're, you're in that position as, as you know, Mitch Marner was, you're, you're with the Toronto media, the Toronto media, they, they aren't going to let up. I mean, we've seen it with Dave Fezchuk. We've seen it with Steve Simmons. We've seen, seen countless stupid people writing about this team. And just, you know, fishing for whatever stupid quote they can get. And I, I understand why Marner said what he said and did what he mm-hmm. did. Um, all that said, you know, there it's a closed door meeting. Um, and, you know, I liked what Elliot Friedman said in the intermission today in that maybe it wasn't so much that he was backtracking. And, and we're talking about Sheldon Keefe here. It's, it's more that maybe he was pulling it back a little bit and saying, you know what, we don't want a guy like Mitch Marner, one of our star elite players, to put more pressure on himself than he already does. Because mm-hmm. let's face it, this is a guy who puts pressure on himself. We've seen him grip the stick yeah. far too tight in the playoffs. We've seen him make mistakes. We've seen him make stupid plays, putting the puck over the glass. You name it, Mitch Marner's probably done it. And 
really it comes down to, you know, maybe this is a kid who puts too much pressure on himself or has outside pressure. And I will refuse to speculate in that sense as well. But I was, uh, I, I, sorry, I'm just going to, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. my, my, my thing is if that's the case, you have to find a way to get this guy going where you don't publicly scrutinize him and still put a little bit of pressure on him because he does need the pressure. This whole team needs the pressure. This is a team that has been knocked out in the first round for how many years this team needs to find a way to win. And when you're playing teams like Montreal, Montreal crushed the Arizona Coyotes tonight. Mm -hmm. That's a team that you, you know, you know, Montreal, you lost to Arizona, you lost to. So if you're talking about comparables this season, right now, you're not looking very good as the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh yeah. And sorry, sorry to like interrupt you there for us. I thought you were done in the middle of that. That was my mistake. Um, but I just want to add one thing to that. Um, in terms of him saying our elite players weren't there, what I'm just trying to figure out if Keith was alluding to his team as a whole compared to the Arizona Coyotes, because you look at that roster, that's not a very strong roster. And I obviously I know they're going through a rebuild. This is their you know, 2014, 2015 Maple Leaf season where, or 2015, 16 season where they, you know, were in the battle for Austin Matthews and first overall. So I get that you're not going to have a strong roster, but even when I was like referring to the games against Boston and Pittsburgh in that first period, Pittsburgh scored three times against the Coyotes. Boston scored twice against the Arizona Coyotes. Maple Leafs allowed a goal against. If you're a serious contending team, you should at least match that, at least get one goal in the first to tie it up. Because that, again, you were talking about comparing, like, you know, teams of lesser caliber to the Maple Leafs compared to the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are on a roll right now, the Boston Bruins, who are on a roll right now, who we didn't even think would actually be that competitive right now. Maple Leafs are going to be in tough. That's for sure. If you're if you're the Maple Leafs right now, you got to find a way to start scoring in the first period. Yeah. The most goals they've scored this season has come have come in the third period. And I know we're... I know we're we're early in the season. Wait till we're 10 games in. Wait till we're 15 games in. You don't want to be the Florida Panthers of last season where mm-hmm. they had so many comeback wins that when they got to the playoffs, they just couldn't get it done. And that's exactly what you're going to do. You can win the President's Trophy all you want. At the end of the day, if you don't get past that first round, if you don't get past that second round, you're, you're a team that fizzles out of everybody's memory. Very, very, very soon, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it, and it might have already happened, but very soon, the Toronto Maple Leafs will not have a single team on that Stanley cup. That ring is being taken off the Stanley cup. Yeah. So first round exits aren't going to cut it. Uh, Losses early in the season to Arizona aren't going to cut it. If you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, you get every win that you can. And that means going ahead early, playing hard early, right from the, right from the first puck drop and getting it done. Even tonight, tonight against Dallas. I mean, yeah, Dallas is a, Dallas is a very strong team. They had Scott Wedgwood in net. You and made him look like was in net. You, you made him look like a Vesna Trophy winner. They took you to OT. There's absolutely oh. no excuse. And this was one of Samsonov's better games of the of the year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, at the end of the day, it is what it is. But it, I know we're only four games in, and and typical Toronto fashion, everyone's panicking, wondering, you know, what the heck's gonna, you know, what what does this mean for Game 82? And I, I'm not going to sit here and panic. I'm not, it's not time to hit the panic button. These are the these are the points that are going to put you separate you from being first in the division, having home ice advantage, to being third in the division, and you know 
possibly playing the Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round. Toronto yeah, only has two goals in the first period. <laughs> only two. You want to know how many the Canadians have? Zero. And they managed to basically pummel the Arizona Coyotes without any goals in the first period. And they have still yet to score a goal in the first period. The Leafs, so, the Leafs have four star players on, uh, up front. Four star players up front. Mm-hmm. Montreal Canadiens have two. Because I'm not, I'm not putting Slavkovsky there. I'm not, I'm not yet putting him there. He, you know, he scored tonight, great, but he, you know, he hasn't done enough to be a star yeah. player. The Leafs have four star players. Can we say five and add Nick Robertson in there? <laughs> well, Nick Absolutely. Roberts, Nick, Nick Robertson's he's... actually stepped up and, <laughs> and held his end up of the bargain just based on t- the tonight's game. I know, we're, I, I, I don't know if that serves as a perfect segue until we're like done, but like I, I'm, I'm just gonna throw that out but, there. Okay, so but you include him. You have two goals there. You have one from Martyr, one from Matthews, and what, two from Tavares? Tavares has uh, one or two. One from Tavares, I think two from Nylander. So five total. Nylander's got three. So your first guy, yeah. your guy that everybody rips on, wants the trade because he he peels off the puck. He's got three goals compared to your other four guys that make $40 million. And all three of them combined what William Nylander has three. So, I mean, right there, get that argument out. You mm-hmm. need Nylander in the lineup, period. Yep. And this Leaf team needs to figure out how to get it done the first period. Absolutely. I mean, if you if you don't, you're going to be chasing games again all season long. It's just one of those things where, you know, you sit there at the start of the season, just like you said, Forbes, and you're you're, you're sitting there after every embarrassing loss or every game that you wish could have gone a little bit better, game and where it was an overtime loss, you should have gotten a win, whatever. And you're sitting there thinking, you know what? It is only X amount of games in. Leafs are going to make the playoffs. Let's not get too angry. And you know what? That's been me this year. Uh, there haven't really, you know, with how aggravating that loss was to Montreal at bottom line that first night, and how aggravating that loss to Arizona was on Monday night. I've been annoyed and frustrated with both of those outcomes, but I haven't really, you know, I haven't really gotten up and been all up in arms and screaming at my TV, kind of like I have been in the past. So, you know, there is a part of you that wants to be like, it is the start of the year. Let's, let's relax. Let's save some anger for later on when they blow it in the playoffs. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, just like we've been echoing this entire time, Scoring goals against these bad teams and winning goals or sorry, winning games against these bad teams early on could be the difference between the Leafs drawing a team like Washington in the first round and drawing a team like Tampa in the first round. And, you know, you look back to last season, all those winnable games that the Leafs lost to teams like Montreal or like the Heritage Classic to Buffalo or uh held to both games to Arizona that they lost. They lost they lost so many winnable games last year ended up playing Tampa Bay with home ice advantage in the first round, which, you know, you can't, I mean, it's not ideal, but with the home ice advantage, you, you can't control who your opponent is. And I'm oh, sorry. I shouldn't say you can't control who your opponent is because that's the whole point that I'm making is you can had the Leafs not thrown away those games and thrown away those two points against those, what should have been easy wins against Arizona, Buffalo, Montreal, et cetera. Like I said, maybe they're there facing off against the Capitals in the first round. And then instead of, you know, after they get eliminated by Tampa Bay, instead of sitting there having the conversation of, you know, the Leafs actually did really well in that playoff series. I didn't feel the same animosity as previous playoff series. They did. I'm pretty happy. They just played a really good series against a really good team. Instead, the Leafs either advance past the playoffs 
by beating a team like Washington, or we're sitting here already having gone scorched earth if they lose to a team like Washington. So surely at this point, the Leafs have to know that obviously, you know, people are going to care about the regular season games, but everything that they work towards this year goes towards those seven games in April and May. And sure, the regular season, you're going to have losses here and there. You're going to, you're going to lose games. You should have won, but you need to be winning the games that you should win as much as possible, because if you don't, then you're not giving yourself the best odds to create your own situation at the end of the year. Right. And you're, you're all of a sudden looking to other teams. It's like, Oh, we could get this team. We could get this team. We could get this team instead of, Hey, we're going to play our hearts out, win every single game, win the president's trophy. We're going to get the weakest team coming in. So it's just one of those, it's just annoying that we're still having this conversation when, when, when throwing away winnable points has been a talking point since what, like 2018. So you, you really, really hope that that's a trend that cuts out sooner rather than later, because I mean, I don't know. I don't know what, what else they have to do to get past that first round. And you know what, as of right now, all they got to like, the, the only thing that they can do is, is give themselves these odds and beat the bad teams and, set themselves as set themselves up as nicely as possible heading into the playoffs. I just want to add one final point to going back to the Mike Babcock days. You got to start on time. They have not started on time. I think maybe for five, 10 minutes of one game, they started on time and that was the opener against Montreal. Then everything hit the fan. They got to start on time. You can't do that. And you're, and like you said, Andrew, if they're clawing your way back most of the time, it's going to be a long season. That's for sure. Well, it's it's exactly what like Alex said. You're going to give up games that you should be winning, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's what it comes down to. And trust me, after after Keith had the uh, had his little uh, comment, and and you know Marner came out and had his, I was ready to, I was all, all ready to get a Marner as a coach killer article going for the hockey writers. <laughs> and I know that would have just dro- <laughs> that that would have just driven uh, Leafs Nation nuts. But I mean. The fact is, is like these guys are your star players. They have to get it done. They're the ones on the ice that are getting it done. I think what Keith wants to do is he wants to to kind of formulate what you know St. Louis is doing in Montreal. Let these kids play. Let these guys play the way that they're meant to play. Instead, they're trying to do way too much. They're trying to they're trying to you know today in in the Dallas game we saw um, we saw Marner kind of do it like a little rollback in his own zone and give the puck away. And mm-hmm. you know he was the last man back. First thing you learn, and I, I realize he's not a defenseman, so don't come at me for saying, oh, Marner's not a defenseman. I was a defenseman when I played. First thing you learn, and every player learns. Every player learns. When you're the last man back, you don't make stupid plays. That was a stupid play. And and maybe that's a, an example of him you know, holding his stick too tight like we were talking about earlier, but that was a stupid play. And you're not going to win games when you make stupid plays like that. Simple. Um. Peter, I know you don't want to talk about the officiating over the last couple of games, but I am going to bring it up. And I know we're going to get ripped on for being homers, but the fact is. Harlow agrees. In the, in the last, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah my, little, my little groaner over here. But the fact is, is that over the last two games, there's been two two plays where like officiating has, in, in a sense, gone against the Leafs. And Obviously, we talk about the tying goal against Arizona, which would have been a huge game changer, momentum shift possibly in that late in that third period, and then obviously tonight the uh, the the Sagan goal with uh, 
uh, Marner getting called for the one, you know, that technically pushed Sagan into, into uh, Samsonov. Um, Alex, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. What were your thoughts on both of these plays? And obviously we've, we've seen, you know, it's been a couple of days since the one in Arizona. So we've seen what the Twitterverse has to say, and we've seen what Tim Peel has to say about it. Um, you know, so we kind of have an idea of where a lot of people stand on it, but I want to get your thoughts on it as well. Well, I'm going to be honest. I didn't really get too mad about the one against Arizona because a, I missed all the game. I was, I wasn't at home watching. So I, you know, went back and caught the highlights and it doesn't really hit the same when you watch the highlights. When you watch it live, you're all wrapped up in the moment and stuff. But anyways, that was the number one reason I wasn't overly upset about it. The other one was that, you know, when you, when I, when I went and looked at the box score of that game and saw that the Leafs lost four, two to the Arizona coyotes, and this goes back to what we were saying literally five minutes ago about how you need to, the Leafs need to stop playing down to their opponents. I found it really hard to get mad about that call, no matter how egregious or surprising that it may have been, just because why are the Leafs in a position where they're relying on a call from the refs going their way to win against the Arizona Coyotes? Mm-hmm. You know, all night people, the beat reporters were posting pics of the Coyotes lineup saying, I've never seen something like this. This is literally... This, this this is literally every minute like they play at a college uh, arena. Yeah, it's almost <laughs> like it's a team put together of castoffs of Division Ten men's ball hockey cuts. You know, that's what people are saying about the Coyotes lineup. And then when the Leafs go out and they're all of a sudden in a position where they need that call from the refs to go their way for them to have a fighting chance at beating the Coyotes in that game, it's just at that point I'm like, you know what? fuck the call like you guys should you guys should have been winning by like two or three goals here anyways so that one i didn't really i didn't really care too much about that one i thought the i've never seen that call happen before in my life by the way like anytime you see a hand pass motion it's always a lot more clear and a lot more visible than that that time it seemed more like a swat and then i can't remember who it's it touched somebody else's stick before it got to uh was it yard? I, I, like I said, I don't even really remember seeing that it. It touched so. the Coyotes player before yeah. it went to a leaf. So that should have been negated. That's or it, should why, have, it, should, it should have allowed to continue. But again, like I, I agree with that. But yeah. also at that point, like why, why, why did the Leafs have to wait for that? Right. Mm-hmm. In terms of the one against the stars tonight, I mean, what, what really bugged me about it was just, first of all, the fact that it was literally the leafiest possible outcome there. Alex Kerfoot throws the puck over the glass, gets a delay of game penalty. Mitch Marner pushes uh, Tyler Sagan into Ilya Samsonov, and it's a tie game just like that. That's like the leafiest possible way that you can allow a power play goal to tie the game. Um, but in terms of that specific play, I was more just... I, I like I, What really upset me about that one was just the fact that when a call is made on the ice, you have to have definitive proof to overturn it. Right. And, you know, obviously there was a little bit of an infraction from Marner there. Yes. He did touch Sagan a little bit, but Sagan also pushed Samson off a little bit himself. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was having this conversation with a buddy earlier and it's kind of like, and again, this is going to sound like a Homer take. I don't care because I'd be pissed off if I was on the other end of it as well. Say for example, Yanni uh, Hackenpot shoves, uh, Scott Wedgwood on a John Tavares shot and it counts as a, or sorry, they wave it off Toronto challenges that Hakapa shoved and they say, no, he didn't. It's a good goal. Then. Okay. Kind of makes sense. But in this, in this instance right here where they made the call on the ice, 
based on the fact that Sagan shoved um, shoved Samsonov, that's when it kind of gets annoying because it's like, okay, well, you made the call on the ice saying, and, and you're, you need definitive proof. So I don't, I don't know why in the video room there, they looked back and decided that all of a sudden Sagan didn't touch Samsonov at all, because in my opinion, if, his stick touches arm, there yeah, was contact. It's, there was contact. Exactly. And that's, and that's the main thing that you're, that's the main thing that really that really drives me nuts for things like this. It's just like I feel like that call would not have gone that way if it was if if the roles were swapped there. I don't know. I, that mm. that might just be me sounding like a salty fan, but it's just I it feels like there's something new every single game with the officiating. Peter, before I uh, give my two cents on it, uh, what what are your thoughts on on the play? Obviously, you know we talked we talked about the Arizona play. I mean you know, Alex kind of put it into perspective. You don't want to, you don't want to put yourself in that position when you're playing a team like Arizona period. Mm-hmm. I mean, officiating good or not. I mean, we, it's a conversation we've had for two years now um, and it seems to get worse and worse, but against the Dallas stars that, that play, there's so much to that play to unfold that it becomes such a difficult decision to make for the refs. And you know, when you're talking about the uh, the war room there, they they should they should have an understanding of what what is black and white when it comes to goaltender interference. So, what is your take on that uh, that Sagan goal? Um, well, I I do agree the Arizona Coyotes game. They should, maybe they shouldn't be put in that you know position. They shouldn't have put themselves in that position. But just as they started to get some life, they overturned that goal because of the hand pass. That to me is just like. That's just like Pete going against the Maple Leafs right there. Same thing with this goal. Like there was contact with Tyler Sagan. To me, if this happened to any other team, I honestly think that they would say that that's still a disallowed goal. They would say the ruling on the ice stands, we got no goal. Honestly, like back-to-back games, a bad call has gone against the Maple Leafs, and it's just really annoying. Everyone is saying that, oh, the refs are in favor of the Maple Leafs. The refs are in favor of the Maple Leafs. Two straight games, there were like questionable calls, no doubt. But at the same time, whatever the ruling was, was totally in line with what the rule is. You know, there was no contact with um, Morgan Riley's hand to negate or to suggest that there was a hand pass. It was on the ref's uh, judgment. Initially, they allowed the goal. And then all of a sudden, now they say, oh, yeah, he touched it. What kind of what, what evidence do you have that's overturned that? Same with this. You really have no evidence to overturn that goal. And it was an incidental contact, no doubt. No penalty, no nothing, but the goal should have been disallowed. I don't understand why, because there's a rule. I believe it was like what? Um, I don't know. I'm gonna have to go back and see what the rule is. Uh I you were muted. I couldn't hear you there. I think I know what you said though. I said section 362B. 362B, okay. Um, I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. I oh, okay. No I, 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 okay. You know, what? Let's, let's just go with uh, 36 to be Article Four, Paragraph Three, whatever of the rule book. If there's incidental contact with the opposing team's player, or like made with the opposing player, and they shove them into uh, their goaltender, which is what happened, but you also saw Sagan stick impede uh, Samsonov's arm. That's still incidental contact, no matter how you look at it. With it, whether it's any other team in the league, and this is why we don't know what goaltender interference anymore is. We really don't because it can be the most 
it could just be like, you know, a little brush up against the arm and they'll say that that's goaltender interference and it's a disallowed goal. It could be the softest call and we like we don't we don't know what to do anymore. Like we don't know what to believe. We don't know what to see. We don't know how to trust like the referees and everything with their judgment because it works one game and then it goes completely haywire or the opposite the next game. So I'm just at a loss for words with officiating. I I really am at this point. Forbes, I'm just gonna jump in real quick here because before you make your point, just because that entire time I was thinking about that analogy that I made in my talking point, and I realized that it made zero fucking sense. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try it again. The analogy that I was trying to make was if if the call on the ice, uh, if that goal happened the exact same way that it did, if the call on the ice was a good goal initially, and the Leafs challenged it and said Sagan shoved Samsonov into the net. And they looked at the challenge, or sorry, they looked at the replay and saw that Marner had pushed Sagan in, just like they called it tonight. At that point, I'd be like, okay, that's the right call right there. But what pissed me off was the fact that the ruling on the ice was that it was no goal because there was goalie interference from Sagan, which you can't take away no matter no matter how obvious it was that Marner had a bit of a shove there as well because the call, the call on the ice stood and initially stood, and you need – definitive proof so i just wanted to get that out of the way before i forgot because i was sitting here feeling like an idiot for the last like 10 minutes so i don't know the nhl rule book you know cover to cover but my understanding of goaltender interference is when you do not make a an attempt to get out of the way of the goaltender making the save okay this this is going to go back to Nazem Kadri against Bennington last season, uh, last playoffs, where you know it stirred up this whole, you know, racial response that Kadri came out and had like the best playoffs he's ever had, um, and, and Bennington throwing the water bottle, that whole situation where, you know, if you look back at it, and Callie Rosen, I believe, was the defenseman on the play, and they looked at the tr- the uh, overall traje- trajectory of uh, Kadri and Rosen. And you could see that Kadri was actually going across the, the front of the net before Rosen hit him into the net. And obviously it wasn't goaltender interference. You know, the rest is history. If you look at the trajectory of um, Tyler Sagan on this play, he initiates contact with Mitch Marner. The initial contact was made, you know, maybe five feet out from the net. Sagan going into Marner, bumps Marner, Marner bumps Samsonov. You know, the play happens, the goal go, you know, the goal is scored, what have you. Samsonov ends up in the net. That to me, when you initiate the contact with the defender, still should go down as, as goaltender interference. At the end of the day, you're the one initiating the contact. You're the one that creates the play. And like you said, Alex, when, when, the call on the ice is no goal because of goaltender interference. And there's, there's no definitive proof that he was making any attempt to not go into the net, which he, he ultimately did go into the net. You can't overturn the call. And that's, that's the problem now, I think. And, and I forget who it was that tweeted it out. And it was after a play in baseball. And it was like, just get rid of, just get rid of uh, replay. It might've been Jeff Merrick even. Just get rid of replay. Let the human error be in the game. And that's that's what created so much animosity, so much rivalry, so much hate within the game for so long was that there was human error. There was mistakes that were made. There was calls that were blown. The fact that you have instant replay, you have calls go under review, and you still can't get the call right 
shows you that it's a system that is not working. Mm-hmm. It's a system that is not working. And officiating has been a problem for multiple years now. It's not, this is nothing new. It's not, it's not a Leafs, Leafs, you know, Leafs would have won the game against Arizona. Had they, no, it's, it's nothing to do with the Leafs. Sports has an issue and it's officiating. And I understand you don't want to, you don't want to crush officiating because then you're not going to have kids at the grassroots level that want to get into it and blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden you've got games without officiating. Baseball is talking about having strikes and balls called by computers. That's going to be 10 times worse. Like, at what point have we have we gone too far? At what point, you know, the call was made on the ice. Sagan was in, you know, you go back to Brett Hall scoring the goal against uh, Don Mikoshik in, in the Dallas Buffalo series that won the cup and his toe was in the crease and everyone was throwing their arms up in the air because it was a no goal. If that was a rule today, the amount of goals that would be called back and the problem is now that was a black and white rule. Your foot was in the crease, boom, no goal. There's no black and white anymore. Every rule that they have is so gray. There's makeup calls. There's, you know, let's even this out. Hey, we missed something. Let's give them a – it needs to be black and white. And until the game gets back to black and white, and that might involve writing a, a whole new rule book, and it could take two to three seasons, get started now. Because the game is going downhill big time. And when you have games that are decided, like Dallas shouldn't get a point tonight, period. They wouldn't have gotten a point. The changes the Western Conference standings. And, you know, a point in overtime to go to lose in overtime, that's a whole nother topic we're not even going to get into tonight. But, like, you got to make it black and white. Otherwise, you're going to have, you know, the game's going to go down very, very quickly. So, I mean, it is what it is. The officiating, you know, was not great, but the Leafs were able to pull it out against Dallas. And and let's quickly talk about the Dallas game. And and I'll tie this in with our our little talking point on on uh, a young man named Nicky Bobby. Um, man, what a game! What a game for for Nick Robertson coming up, playing his brother, his parents in town, his mom wearing sporting the Leaf jersey, his wearing the Dallas cap. I mean, I take the jersey over the cap any day of the week. But Peter, you're you're loving this this Nick Robertson talk. You're loving the fact that he's up. You know, Dennis Malkin's not going to score 20 goals anymore. <laughs> but Nick Robertson's two goals into that 20 goal pace that I set for Dennis Malkin. So what are you what are your thoughts on on Nick Robertson's debut with the the Toronto Maple Leafs this season? Uh, I wonder if he listened to our talk with David Alter. Because that question that Alex had about Nick Robertson and, you know, David, you know, given the same evaluation of Robertson and that rookie tournament was the same thing that I saw. He had his moments, but, you know, still sloppy with the turnovers, not as confident, trying to do a bit too much. That was all gone during the preseason. Goes down two games with the Marlies, two points. Obviously, the unfortunate injury happened to Matt Murray. He gets called up. I would have played him against the Arizona Coyotes because having that jolt of energy and skill that he has probably would have been another reason why the Maple Leafs could have gotten out of that, you know, slump quicker in that game. Probably would have been because of the speed of Nick Robertson and the uh, play driving, the transitional play, the shot, everything that he does is just so well. And we saw that on display with the Dallas Stars right now. And 
man, I people aren't going to believe me because I didn't tweet this on Twitter and I don't have evidence, but I had a gut feeling that the game winning goal was going to come down to either Austin Matthews or Nick Robertson. Lo and behold, Austin Matthew, Nick Robertson had that fantastic defensive play on that two on one to break it up, mind you. And uh, for, you know, his defensive play coming into question, he looked very composed in that situation. High stakes, you know, one wrong move. It could be a two on O or a breakaway even. And what does he do? He manages to slightly break it up and then the play goes the other way. And Austin Matthew sets him up for the game winner. I'm very impressed with how he's processing the game right now. Um, obviously, everyone's going to point to the preseason and say, oh, it didn't mean anything. It was playing up against, you know, lesser competition. I'm going to point to that game against the Ottawa Senators where he was in a top six role and they were playing most of their regulars. Nick Robertson played like a top six forward in that game. He is playing like a top six forward right now. And I think right now, there should be no reason to send him back down. There should be no contract dispute or whatever if you need to make a trade you make a trade to make room for nick robertson right now if you need to put dennis morgan on waivers because that was the whole reason why they kept morgan up because robertson was waiver exempt and morgan wasn't if you got to put morgan on waivers and you risk losing dennis morgan over what you're seeing with nick robertson right now that to me would be the best thing possible. And if you keep Dennis Morgan in and send Nick Robertson back down after what he's doing right now, that's just going to be a huge other issue in itself, because it's like, if I'm Nick Robertson and that happens, what more do I got to stay up or to do to stay up? He's staying. There's no way that he's getting sent down right now. And if I had to put choose between him or Morgan, I risk losing Dennis Morgan. I'd rather have a young 21 year old prospect that you drafted and developed as a second rounder who led the OHO in scoring two, three seasons ago under a point per game player in the AHL, despite missing half of that time because of a lot of injuries. I think because of his mentality, his work ethic and his skill, it's all combined into one and you're seeing a complete Nick Robertson. This is his time. This is his moment. He's going to stay up and I'm absolutely loving it. Yes, but the big question is, did you trade Mason Marchment for him? I I I, I did not, and I still think that, that was a bad trade. I don't I I still think I would have kept Mason Marchment. But no I, I, I know where you're coming from. I really do. No, I'm just um, I'm just messing with you. Like there, but I'm, I did I did pick up Nick Robertson. As you know, you're in you're in my fantasy league. I picked up Nick Robertson and boom, game winning goal, two goals, one power play. That's a heck of a load of points right there. I was going to say, I'm, I I was happy to see him get some, some power play time. And let me just read you the stat line. Two goals, plus one, four shots on goal, three hits in 14-24 of ice time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't get much better than that for a debut, especially when, you know, your star-studded brother is playing against you for the Dallas Stars. Yeah. Um, you held him to nothing. And... I mean, it, it it was quite the debut for him. But, Alex, what are your thoughts on Nick Robertson, where he is with the Maple Leafs, and, and are we seeing him for the remainder of the season? Yeah, if he keeps playing like the way he did tonight, then I don't think there's any reason he should go back to the Marlies. And like Peter said, if that means you have to make a trade, I think that's what you have to do because there should be – we're if Nick Robertson can play like this, and I'm not saying he has to go out there and score two goals every game, but if he can stay engaged – 
keep that line going at the speed that they were going at tonight and make his presence known every single game he gets into the lineup, then there's no reason the Leafs should be even considering setting him back down to the Marlies because they're at the stage of their, their of where they are right now with their core where they need every possible gear turning to get past that first round and, and make a deep run in the playoffs. And they, and they shouldn't be turning away players who are helping contribute to the team for cap ramifications or whatever bullshit you want to come up with. I think that the Leafs need to do whatever they can to keep Robertson on the team this year, as long as he keeps playing that way. If it's if 15 games go by and these are his only two goals that he's scored in that time, then yeah, send him down for some seasoning. Maybe you bring back Dennis Mogget or Alex Steves or Pontus Holmberg or whatever. But I don't think that's going to happen because Robertson looked engaged all preseason. He was one of the best players in the NHL in preseason. Obviously had to start the season with the Marlies because of that waiver drama with Dennis Mogget. But Mogget scored in his first game and then didn't do much in the next three games. He sat tonight for Robertson and Robertson instantly scored two goals, including the game winner to make it make a good first impression in the lineup, I would say. Um, and I think many would agree. And I do want to take a second just to highlight how amazing that play that Robertson made in the defensive zone was yeah. leading to his goal. This guy ends up in a position where I think, I think any aspiring prospect looking to make the NHL would shit themselves at the thought of being in the position Robertson was in where, you know, you're somehow this guy, you're, you're this forward that's known for their goal scoring and you're somehow the only man back in overtime, three-on-three overtime, and you're defending a two-on-one. But he swung his stick out, and he disrupted Jamie Benn. Uh, Matthews picked up the puck. They took it the other way, and then Robertson finished it off with a goal. And it was just picture-perfect in every sense of the word. So Robertson looks great. He's looked great all preseason. He looked great tonight. And I think that if the Leafs want to – Keep uh, if they want to have a, an extra dynamic piece in their top six. We've talked about maybe another top potential top six winger and trading for a. We've we've gone through the list of trade targets. We don't need to do it again. But we've talked about the Leafs adding another top six forward. And I'll tell you right now, after a lot of last season, we saw the pairing of John Tavares and William Nylander. You know, feature sort of a re- recurring cast of left wings on that line. It was Kerfoot for a couple games. It was Mikheyev for a couple games. Maybe Engvall here and there. I think that for the first time we saw, I I, I I wouldn't say for the first time tonight, but I think that sticking Robertson with Tavares and Elander to start the year was absolutely the right move because you're putting a guy looking to make an impact with, I would say the two best Leafs forwards to start the season. And I don't think you need to put a guy like Robertson with, you know, say Matthews and Marner because that line has 60 goals and a hundred points from at least one of those players. So they shouldn't need a jolt of energy from a guy like Robertson. But I think that for a line with Tavares and Nylander, where they maybe struggled finding their identity at certain points last year and didn't quite, didn't quite have a perfect line mate all year. I think Robertson is looking like he could be that perfect line mate. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with a legitimate stretch of NHL games ahead of him. So what you're saying is we're not going to get Connor Garland. Uh, well, Connor Garland was just a scratch for the Canucks a couple <laughs> nights ago, and the Canucks haven't even won a game yet, so I don't know. Well, here's the funny thing they were up 3 2 on the Minnesota Wild, and they blew and that they lead lost. again 4 to 3 in overtime. Oh, yeah. So, saw... yeah, so Connor Garland was the problem, right? Since you guys have the, the Canucks going here, I, I saw this get on. Before we move on, I just want to mention one quick more stat line five on five, natural stat trick Robertson, Tavares, Nylander, 63. 
0.16 Corsi four percentage um, scoring uh, expected goals for relative to the team 7.56 scoring chances 69.23% high danger chances 66.67%. So that line is clicking. I was going to say, I saw a Canucks, uh, a, a tweet about like the, when the Canucks get a lead and it's this guy on like, you know, one of those surf, surfing uh oh those, i know what you're talking yeah. about like the surfing <laughs> simulator on the cruise ship. yeah yeah and he just like he just eats it his, his shorts come off and <laughs> oh buddy he didn't just he didn't just eat it like he devoured a seven course meal that's oh how bad it God. was he got knocked off the board he got fit he got waterboarded by the <laughs> fucking simulator itself his face was just buried in there like it oh. was it looked like the leafs in the final 10 minutes of a game it, seven like it did it oh, did man not to make uh, that joke again, but and and for those who aren't watching, um, you know, you're gonna hear some grunts and groans in the background. I got my I have my seven week old here with me. I'm doing double duty with uh little podcast hosting, a little little daddy duty. So um, you're you're doing a fantastic job. Hey, both, credit man. credit to you guys. You guys are talking through all the grunts and groans. So I mean, you guys are doing fantastic. <laughs> but um, I do want to bring up. Rasmus Sandin because and, and we'll get to uh, Muzzin in a second here but Sandin's getting a lot of opportunity here and part of that I mean the reason for it is that yes Jake Muzzin is out of the lineup um so tonight against Dallas Sandin played over 20 minutes of the of the game ha- finished with the most hits on the on the Maple Leafs with seven um you want to talk about a physical physical edge this is a guy who you know, size-wise, you would never, never think that he'd be the most physical. But we've seen it last year uh, through the games that he played. And then on top of that, you know, like what he's done so far this year for them is is play that same kind of physical edge uh, for for a small defenseman. Um, Alex, I'll throw it to you first. Rasmus Sandin, what he's done so far. I mean, not not getting on the score sheet as, as much as you'd maybe like, but what he's doing on the physical side, on the defensive side. He hasn't looked completely out of place yet. Man, I honestly think that if you're talking about a guy like Rasmus Sandin not looking out of place for his age, I think I'd take that more than talking about Rasmus Sandin putting up 20, 30 points from the back end but not being able to figure it out defensively. I think when you're talking about young defensemen, specifically smaller, young, puck-moving defensemen like Sandin is, and we've talked about Sandin multiple times and the value that he brings to the team, but normally with a player like this, the offense is developed early on, but it takes them a couple of years to really develop that defensive game and, and become trustworthy in their own zones and shed those rookie mistakes that young defensemen make. But with Sandine, it seems like it's going in the opposite direction. And that's not, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, it seems like in his NHL career to start, he's been sound defensively. He's made some solid plays. He's been surprisingly very physical for his size. I, you, you've probably seen the clip of him decking Blake Wheeler a couple of years ago. Um, this guy Maybe for five old. for five eleven and one eighty one eighty five or whatever he is like this guy can throw some pretty crushing hits. So, you know, part of the reason Sandine sat out and was was kind of holding out of his contract negotiations heading into training camp was because of his ice time. And with Jake Muzzin being out now, and we're like obviously, like you said, we're going to talk about Muzzin in a second. But Marner's quote to the press yesterday: He said, "If Muzzin can get back this year." Number one priority that that's great, but number one priority is that he gets to spend time with his, 
you know, he gets to, he gets to retire healthy and spend time with his family and his kids and all that. So, I mean, I don't know what, I don't know if Mitch Marner knows more than someone else might, or if he's just playing it safe, but if, if Jake Muzzin's out for a long time, then you've got Rasmus Sandin right there waiting to prove his worth in the top four role. And he looked fine with Justin Hall tonight, but we've, you know, Justin Hall for all his quirks, Every single time it seems like we we gripe about him, it's when he's paired with Jake Buzz. So as long as he is paired with somebody who's a little faster than him and, and can maybe chip in a little chip in offensively a little more than he can, he's really not as bad of a player. So I think it's great that Sandine's got his opportunity in the in the top four tonight. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he makes of it because if he if he really settles into that role and ends up being able to being able to maybe stick in that role more full time, even when Muzzin gets back and maybe lets lets them shelter Muzzin a little bit. I think that'd be great for all parties. So I'm impressed with what I've seen so far from Rasmus. Peter, same, same sort of idea. Rasmus Sandin's obviously, you know, he's put in his time developmentally. Um he this he 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 held out a little bit this offseason because he wanted that playing time. Now with Muzzin out, he's getting that opportunity. What do you, what have your what have you seen so far from Rasmus Sandin? Yeah, I mean, this is a like similar to Timothy Lilligren. Like he joined the AHL right away, coming out of their draft year kind of thing. Um, if I remember, if I recall correctly, I gotta go and check out when he joined the Marlies. But it had to be around the same time that Timothy Lilligren came over too. Um, just trying to, yeah. So right after 2017, 2018. Sandine joined the Toronto Marlies and he had 20, 28 points in that span. And during that season, that's when Timothy Lilligren also came over. Yeah. So Lilligren was drafted the year before. Um, so he got the opportunity beforehand to join the team over Lilligren. And now we saw how great Lilligren was. Is there going to be a spot for Sandine because the left side is crowded? But now, obviously, you know, it's, not great news for Jake Muzzin because, you know, he's a big minute eater for the team and he can be consistent when he's on his game. But this is, you know, probably the best thing for Sandine to get that opportunity to step up into a role where, you know, another play, what a top player is down, who's going to step up? You know, you got to have somebody step up in that situation. Sandine is doing a great job. Obviously, he's not going to throw a bone crushing hit. But he is able to hold his own right now. We heard about how he put on weight during the offseason, how much more muscle he has. Um, how much and like and you're seeing a big difference in his game defensively, too, where he's not, you know. Last season, there were times where he took some risks and it didn't pay off. This season, with the risk that he is taking, it's paying off, but he's smart about when he's taking that risk. He's not jumping at the first sight, and even still, right now. With the his play on the power play, the transitional play, the pe- breakout passing, he had a great pass on Alexander Kerfoot's goal to set him up there. So this was really, obviously, it's not great in the sense because Muzzin is still injured, but for Rasta Sandin to step up when he needs to, it's perfect. And I'm I'm loving what I'm seeing right now. This is the opportunity where maybe Muzzin does get put on LTIR um, for the long term. But now you have another question on your hand. Do you go out and get a defenseman like a Jacob Chikrin or another player that can play steady minutes in a top four role? Or do you run it with Sandine, similar to what you're seeing with the Nick Robertson situation? Do you 
give your defenseman who's put in time and effort to his development, take over that role and become a factor now and become a mainstay in the roster. That's what you want to see. This is why drafting and developing is important. You want that internal competition. Now that Sandine has that chance, it, it's starting to pay off right now. And, you know, five games in, two assists. Obviously, I think the production will come at some point where maybe you're not going to get like, you know, like, you know, 60, 70 points. But if he's able to put up at least a decent 30, 40 every single season as a two-way mobile defender, that's going to be great for the Maple Leafs in that spot. And I'm, I I hope he can continue with this because this is important for him. It's important for the Maple Leafs. And they'd have somebody that they can rely on that if there is an injury that happens, you know who you can count on, Rasmus Sandin. Well, I, I'm going to leave this for the Muzzin talk, but I'll, I'll – I'll start with saying there's your problem solved for for keeping Robertson up. Um, mm-hmm. I, unfortunately, it comes with with Muzzin being injured. But when it comes to Sandine, I mean, this guy this guy's been begging for an opportunity. Uh, it's the same as Nick Robertson. He's been begging for an opportunity. Now is the time to shine, and you're going to eat those minutes. You're going to get those twenty minutes. I I do still think I agree with you. I still think the Leafs need to go out if if Muzzin's going to be on LTIR. Uh, I think you need to go out and you need to find a, a replacement. I don't think you're going to get it done with with the defense, the, mm-hmm. the core that you have right now. And, and that's just lack of experience. I mean, Lilligren, lack of experience. Sandine, lack of experience. They're going to get it. Um, and there's also a situation if what happens to Giordano, because he took a big hit that could have been very costly as well. Absolutely. And, and, and keep in mind, too, you've got Victor Mete, again, not as much experience as maybe you want, 239 games, I believe, 240. Um, you've got Jordy Ben, who could be like kind of that enforcement on the back end, but you do want a guy like Jacob Chikrin, and, and maybe that opens up opportunity, um, and, and you can solve the problem in the offseason if, if in fact, you have guys on the LTIR for, for long periods of time. Um but you also look at a guy like Justin Hall, and I know, I know we've ripped on Justin Hall. I know all the Leaf, Leafs Nation has ripped on Justin Hall. I know to his credit, he's had, you know, a couple okay games this season. Um, but for me, he's like he's like the Chuck Knobloch of of the Maple Leafs, where he's got he's got the uh, he's got the yips. And I don't know if it's playing in front of the Toronto Toronto crowd. I don't know if it's answering to the Toronto media. I mean, you can tell he likes being around the group in that dress room, but. It's like when you get the yips, you don't you don't just get rid of them. You gotta you either go somewhere and start fresh, or you you know that's the end of your career. And I'm not saying that's the end of Justin Hall's career. I'm just saying Toronto might not be the place to turn it around. And that's I I and I'm not just thinking from a Toronto Maple Leaf fan perspective. I'm thinking from a you know let Hall get the best out out of what he can do for the rest of his career. It's not going to be in Toronto, so. I mean, if that's the case, you know, you've got you've got opportunity. Sandine's going to ride with it. Tim, Timothy Logren, when he comes back, he's going to ride with it. But you still need that. You need that anchor piece that Jake Muzzin was when he was healthy. And I don't think Jake Muzzin's been healthy for a very long time. I, I I don't think when he came back last year that he was healthy. I don't think that when he started the year, the year before that he was healthy. I don't think Jake Muzzin's been the Jake Muzzin that, you know, came into the NHL and started his career with the LA Kings. He, he hasn't been the same player in a long time. And that's no, no, no discredit to what he's done. He he's a warrior comes out there and he battles, but um, at the end of the day, I mean, you want to be healthy. And like Marner said, you want to, you want to be able to enjoy, you want to be able to enjoy, you know, um, 
the family rest of your life, and family time yeah. once you retire. And, and that's got to be the focus for, for Jake Muzzin. We talked about it last year. That's got to be his focus. So I would, I would say that he's probably going to be out for some time. Um, that said, uh, there's a lot of opportunity here. And with, with, with saying that, uh, we'll kind of tie in the cap potentially going up next year if escrow is paid off by the end of the year, which Gary Bettman alluded to. Um, but Peter, I'll throw it to you first. With the cap going up, with the possibility of Muzzin going on LTIR, all of a sudden the Leafs cap situation isn't looking nearly as bad as it once did. What are your thoughts on a J- Jacob Chickman trade, or or what are your thoughts on you know where this team's at financially uh, heading into next year if escrow does in fact get paid off by the end of the year well if you are able to move muzz's contract and have that as a piece in chicken trade where you are and apparently they have softened their deal with chicken where maybe it's a, a first a prospect and maybe uh I, I i can't remember what the initial deal was maybe it was two first and a prospect but maybe if they soften it to a first and a prospect i think that's going to work out great for the maple Leafs. and everyone is saying that oh the maple Leafs don't have prospects um i'm pretty sure you know chicago would beg to differ because they wanted matthew nyes supposedly in that mark andre flurry deal Topi Niemela is a name that's a very, you know, consistent two-way defender, right-hand shot, something that teams love to have. Uh, Ronnie Hirvin has shown great, you know, consistency as an energetic energetic winger. You know, you have someone like Pontus Holmberg. You have prospects in the system that teams would want. So everyone is saying, oh, the Maple Leafs have no prospects. They're not going to win Chikorin. They got prospects. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of them actually trying to go through with it and actually go all in to make that kind of a deal because that kind of a deal is going to be significant. And... Obviously, if you move on Muzz's contract or if he gets put on LTIR, that changes everything because you're adding, you're taking away 5.6 and you have room to bring in 4.6 million. Um, that to me is a huge difference and a huge reason why you're going to be in a better spot if that cap does go up. And we even talked about it, like in the span of like maybe what, three, four years, it could go up as much as 10 million or two, three years, that's going to go up to 10 million. And then you're going to be in a better spot where you need to re-sign Matthews and Marner. Uh, John Tavares will be off the books and William Nylander as well. So this is a good stepping point for the Maple Leafs cap-wise because you're getting some major relief. You're bringing in a defenseman that is a whole package, a younger, I'm going to say younger, younger Jake Muzzin, who could do everything in every single situation and at a cheaper contract for about two more years after this. Obviously, right now, you got to make things work because nothing is set in stone with uh, um, Muzzin going on LTIR. But if you do, even when Matt Murray comes back, you're still going to be in a good spot. Um, I would hope that they're going to be in a good spot because a 4.6 million, obviously, you would still need to try and free up a, you know, Justin Hall's contract, Alexander Kerfa, those names that there's 5 million right there you can free up to give you more space to work with. So if you're able to do that and call up an energetic winger like a Holmberg or Alex Steves to fill the void of Alexander Kerfoot, then so be it. Because both of them are going to be UFAs. I don't think they're going to be sticking around a long time for the Maple Leafs. So why not 
create that space, bring in someone on the back end. And like we talked about that internal competition before, have them come up because uh, Steve's looked great. Holmberg looked great. They look like they're on the verge of becoming NHL ready. Give them that chance because there's a lot to be had right now. There's a lot of decisions that need to be made and it all is going to be depending on Muzzin going on LTIR, but that 4 million, it's going to be huge no matter what. Any dollar helps, any little bit helps. If they're able to get that and by the end of this season, four million extra in the books for more space, even go out and even give a little bit more on your depth forwards because they've been, you know, bargain hunting quite some time. It's going to be a big difference maker, no matter what, no matter how you look at it, it's going to benefit the Maple Leafs. Alex, I mean, it's first off what are your thoughts on muzzin is is this is this an injury they're saying it's not a head injury they're saying it's a neck injury is this one that could keep him out long term um and, and if so with the cap potentially rising at the end of the year is this the the opportunity that the leafs need to go out and get that stud defenseman i mean i've i've you guys have said it to you before i don't think morgan riley's your number one um I think the Leafs still need to go out and get a guy like maybe a Jacob Trickren. Um, Alex, what are your thoughts on, on this situation for the Leafs? Yeah. I mean, if the cap actually does jump by $4 million, I think that uh, you can only look at that as a positive. That's four extra million dollars to work with. And it gives the Leafs an opportunity to go after that, that big, oh, excuse me, big stud defenseman. Like you said, um, for Jake Muzzin in, in terms of, in terms of his situation, I think it's definitely a good thing that he that it's a neck injury and not a head injury because the head injuries he you saw he had a couple last season and you know with everything that's gone on in the NFL with Tua lately and stuff you know you don't head injuries are just sort of at the forefront of the, of the discussion when it comes to injuries right now and so it's definitely a good thing that he's not. He doesn't have a concussion and it's not one of those things where you're, we're talking about whether he can come back and be recovered from his concussion in time, et cetera. It, it, it being limited to a neck injury is, is definitely a best case scenario. I think in that situation, um, I don't want to speculate on how much longer he has, or if the Leafs can utilize his cap on LTIR or something like that, because ultimately that, and that just comes down to how he's feeling and how, and if he feels he can contribute, because if he does feel like he can contribute still, then, Obviously, the Leafs aren't going to keep him out of the lineup, but uh, it'll just depend on how he how he does and how his recovery goes. I don't really have too too much more to add that Peter didn't already cover. So um, I just think it's one of those things where if it's if he feels good enough to go, then great. But if not, then he shouldn't be. He should definitely just be putting his 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 personal life and his his family and his future ahead of trying to get back in and help the Leafs on the defensive court if his health isn't worth it. Yeah, I had, I had one comment on Twitter um, referring to, well, it's funny how this all worked out for the Leafs and in, in reference to the Jake Muzzin injury. And I I agree with you, Alex. I think if if this is a guy who was good to go, he'd be out there. There's no question. We talked about it last year in the playoffs and, you know, or, or heading into the playoffs rather, you know, is he, uh, are they just holding him out so then go and make a move at the deadline? And I mean, I think it's pretty clear that this guy wants to be on the ice. It's, you know, at the end of the day, that the body's just run down. It's not letting. And when you play a game the way that he played it or plays it, um, you know, it 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 does it does wear your body down. And I think, you know, that said, I do think it's a great opportunity for the Leafs to take advantage of it. If in fact he's going to be on the LTIR for for most of, if not the remainder of the year. 
Um, I, I just, you know, it might not be Chikrin, but they need it. They need another guy to fill out that top six. Um, I don't think Jordy Ben's the guy. I don't think Victor Mete's the guy. I think they got to find a piece that's going to be, you know, get them over the hump in the first round and be that physical guy that, you know, Jake Muzzin was for, for such a long time for LA. I mean, he was a key piece for that, that LA team that, you know, went on a couple runs. So um, yeah, I, I think, you know, obviously it's unfortunate that Jake Muzzin is where he is, but that being said, as you can see me with my little, my little girl here um, at the end of the day, family's everything. And, and he needs to find a way to make sure that, you know, past hockey, he's got time with his kids and time with his wife and, and that he can enjoy it and, and, you know, be the, be the family guy that I'm sure he, I'm sure he is. Um, with that said, boys, I got a quick ad read from our wonderful sponsors over at the Indie Ale House before we get to the final notes here. Uh, hockey, good beer, great good beer. In beer. fact, in fact, I'm drinking their instigator West coast style IPA right now. So wonderful IPA, very hoppy. If you're an IPA guy, that's definitely, or IPA girl, IPA, whatever. Um, that's definitely one that you want to give it a go. Uh, but yeah, Indie Ale House. Hockey is back and with it, so are the Maple Leafs. Getting ready for a night out or of sorry, a night out or watching the game at home with the gang. What better way to do it than with a nice cold one for the folks at from the folks at the Indie Ale House in Toronto? With two locations in the city at Italy, Toronto, at Bay and Bloor, the Biroteca location. They have two big screens, amazing authentic Italian food, and loads of beer. Also at OG. Brew, uh, brew pub in the junction at Keel and Dundas with 120 seats, famous bar food, and 12 taps. Indie Ale House is an award-winning brewery featuring their flagship Instigator IPA, and like I said, it's great, and dozens of rotating monthly special release beers, perfect for takeout, dine-in, or bottle shop online orders when planning for game night. You can find Instigator IPA and Marco Polo Pilsner at finer LCBOs across the province as well. Hashtag live indie is the motto adventurous fun focused beers with a selection for everyone from a healthy dose of in your face, hoppy beers for the beer geeks to mainstream pilsners and easy drinking options. Indie ale house is the go-to for game day. It's the go-to for us here at sticks in the six. Uh, check them out at indiealehouse.com. place an order online. Uh, great delivery uh, or like I said, head head down to one of their two locations. I checked out the brew pub before our live show last week, and uh, hell of a location, boys. So definitely, uh, definitely go get some of their beer um, and uh, enjoy it while you're watching the watching the boys in blue and white. Um, before we jump ship here on the on the Leafs talk, I did want to quickly bring up the Jamie Ben uh, cross check tonight on Austin Matthews. I sent out a tweet almost immediately from the, from the show's uh, Twitter, just, you know, saying like, look, NHL, you got to do something about this. Jamie Ben knew damn well where he was throwing that little jab in the, in just above the pant line of Austin Matthews, that kind of shit needs to get called. Otherwise you're going to lose your star players. I want your take on that, uh, that cross check and whether or not it's something that you can universally call around the league. Peter, I'll throw it to you first. And that is that is why I I I I'm a little bit shocked that you know Abe Kubel or Zach Aston Reese didn't do anything to try and send the message. Obviously, maybe the lineup didn't quite work out with the matching. But if I if I'm Sheldon Keith, I would have gone him out for one shift to just have him send a message. But that is also why you called up Wayne Simmons 
you know um like you said that's not going to fly anymore uh granted austin matthews has been holding his own and throwing big time hits which is great but you shouldn't have to rely on him in that role this is why you brought in reese kubel you called up simmons again to let them know that hey if you're going to mess with our star player then you got to go through us you signed them for a reason i was a little bit disappointed that a message wasn't sent from them or like you know maybe just not necessarily a big retaliatory thing but maybe just like a little jab here and be like hey you want to go pick on one of us don't pick on austin although he's able to hold his own but you know you don't want him to drop the gloves he's holding his own but that is why you have those guys that's why you signed them and we expect them to see them be in ben's face as a result of that and this goes with goaltender players running the goalie hits from behind whatever this team has no backbone they don't go into a scrum or whatever because they're afraid you brought those guys in to start to start stuff and send that message. I want to see that more. Obviously, maybe Michael Bunting is probably the only one that's able to get in there because there was that um, Hankapa um, penalty towards the end of the uh, the third period, and Michael Bunting is there mixing it up. Obviously, thank God he didn't take a penalty, but you have Bunting as well. That's why you have those guys to get in other people's faces. We need to see more of that. Because that, that, that to me is unacceptable. Alex, back at you as well. Uh, what, are, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that jab? And is it something that we can universally get out of the game? Or is it something that star players like Austin Matthews, and we've seen it with Connor McDavid as well, is that something that they're going to have to just put up with? And, and hopefully you have a guy like Wayne Simmons on the ice that can you know, drop, the, drop the mitts if needed. Of course, made it. We we almost made it to the end of the episode without having to do that at least once. Anyways, literally all I was saying, Forbes, is that you uh, pretty much answered. You, you you took the words out of my mouth with the second part of your question. There, I don't have faith in the NHL getting this out of the game. I don't have faith in them rewriting the the rule book. I don't have faith in them taking accountability for their own actions at all. I agree. It was a, it was a bush league play. You, 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 every hockey player knows about that little gap between the pants and the shoulder pads, and Ben found it. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to continue happening unless the Leafs respond. And I mean, what better way to respond than by getting two points in the end tonight, but it's, it's definitely something that they're going to have to learn to adapt to as a team, because I don't see the NHL changing their ways at all. Well, boys, um, I did have one more leaf note. I can't, uh, can't exactly. It's not coming to me. It's not coming to me, boys. It's, it's a late night. It's, Tired here at the Forbes residence, but with that, we have our weekly, weekly uh, session of Hockey Canada talk. <laughs> and I know we're getting tired of it. Um, this is not, we don't even have to really get into it. It's just more news. Um, came out that Hockey Canada had a third fund. Um, so there, <laughs> check out Rick Westhead because he's, he's, he tweeted a piece. Uh, I, I believe it was today kind of breaking down the finances of hockey Canada over the last five years. Um, great piece way over my head. I'm not, I'm not a financier, so I don't really, I don't really get the, you know, the full understanding of, of how depraving that, that kind of stuff is like, it's just the money was flowing everywhere. It's insane, but definitely check it out. Um, if you're putting your kids into hockey, just try and make sure your funds aren't going to hockey Canada. 
that's all that's all I can really say right now because the I still don't think it's at a place where it needs to be. So I don't know if you guys want to add anything to that. I was just gonna say, and that's why we wanted that whole entire organization to clean house. There was still gonna be more. There, there's probably gonna be a fourth one. We don't know. But the fact that a third one possibly came out shows that this is why Smith needed to step down. The whole board of governors needed to step down. And now you're starting from scratch. I don't, maybe you could try and rebrand it as a different name, but this is, this is, this is what needed to happen. This is why, because more information was going to come out. And the longer that they hit it, the more, and the longer they stayed on board, the more damning the evidence was going to be to against them. Yeah, I just, I just feel it's like like the never-ending story. I'm waiting for the big, fluffy, flying fucking dog that freaks everybody out to just fly across the screen. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I just uh, don't you see brought up insight, never, so You brought up never-ending story, and I just can't get out of my head Dustin from Stranger Things singing the theme, the never-ending story in Stranger Things. If you watch the end of season two or you know, season three, you'll know what I'm talking about. Alrighty, well, I think that's uh, that's it for us for episode ninety nine, boys. We got a big episode next week. Um, we're, we're still we're still trying to book down a, a decent guest for this for this show, but regardless, we're going to be hitting the century mark. I, I said to Peter when we first started this show that a lot of podcasts don't get to even episode ten. So for us to get to episode one hundred, um, you know, huge success, huge shout out to you guys. The amount that we put in every week, I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot. It seems like we kind of just sit down and throw this shit together. But, mm-hmm. you know, we we put a lot into this show and uh, we put a lot of time. We put a lot of dedication. I know on my end, my wife uh, puts up with me quite a bit saying I got, you know, an interview or I got this or I got that. But driving down to Toronto to go mm-hmm. to the bottom line and, you know, have a shot of vodka, like that kind of stuff. But um it's it's very exciting to get to episode 100. We will uh, yeah. we will be there next week, and hopefully everybody st- stays with us um, and uh, play play our our sticks uh, goal picks on Twitter. We're getting a little little slow on the uh, participation this year, but we'll we'll pick it up. Um, aside from that, gentlemen, anything you guys want to add before we close out episode 99? Nothing for me. In regards to the goal picks, my trend is picking my selection and then not scoring the first goal, but the second has continued because I said Nick Robertson and he didn't score the first, but lo and behold, he scored the second. So, yeah, the uh, trend from last season is continuing strong this one. So, fun. Beautiful. Beautiful. There you go. There you go. Um, Anyways, if you want to tune in to uh, any of us on Twitter, and Alex, I got to give you a shout actually quickly before we throw it away here. Um. I have, I have a buddy who, who listens to the show and he says uh, he doesn't follow you on Twitter yet, but he says whenever he's looking through uh, Twitter for Leaf stuff, your your tweets always come up. And he's like, this guy loves to stir the pot. So uh, credit <laughs> I to wonder, you. I wonder which tweet he saw and that made, uh, that made him come to that conclusion. Yeah, I I had, know. You know, I had, a fun, I had a fun one the other day that kind of took off when I listed the 25 embarrassing losses. Yeah, I, I, that, guy, that guy tweeted oh. after the Leafs-Coyotes game saying, oh, you're, in, you're a Maple Leafs fan? We'll name 25 embarrassing losses. So I was like, all right. <laughs> I sat I, down and I listed 25 oh. that I could remember. I can't believe you did that, man. I would not have the patience to do that. <laughs> oh, I did. I, it, was like, it, was like a, it was like a fucking trip through memory lane from hell 
way of calling it that. I relived so many experiences that night. So, hey, talk about controversial uh, tweets. I uh, I had one uh, the other day where I I said something about uh, Leafs Nation picking on Jack Campbell, and holy the replies to that. Um, not 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 fully what I expected, but it's like it's one of those things. Like if you're getting a, if you're getting offended by it, maybe you should check yourself because maybe you're part of the problem. Um, but anyways, gentlemen, uh, Alex, if you want to follow Alex on Twitter, as you should, a Hobson Media. You can check out Peter as well. Another great follow for prospect uh, talk and leaf talk at P Barracchini, or you can follow myself um, at Andrew G Forbes. You can also follow the podcast at sticks in the six pod. That's S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. Check us out on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, whatever you have, check us out. Uh, all of our live broadcasts from the bottom line will be on our socials as well. We'll be looking to get do another one in November. So we're going to stay tuned for that as well. If you're in the area, definitely jump down, buy us a beer, maybe, uh, maybe buy our meals, whatever you have to do to, to get us. Uh, Come to bottom line and give us your money. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> Insert fry meme, shut up and take my money. <laughs> yeah. But uh, aside from that, gentlemen, uh, as I said, it's a pleasure doing this with you every, every week. Jump on to Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you download your podcast. Make you make sure you subscribe and make sure you tune in next week as we have our big episode, episode 100. Thanks for tuning in.